Next Chapter Podcasts. I just went to see Judd interviewed Roger Daltrey for like some L.A. Speaks thing. And Roger said, you know, I've been married to the same woman since like whatever, 1966. And, you know, the reason is we don't ask questions. You know, I go on tour and she just doesn't ask. She ignores all my hickeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was just this ocean of silence. Like, we're not allowed to clap at that. Sorry, yeah, it's hard, dude. <laughs> my wife's right next yeah, it's to me. A bunch You're of making people this with their very wives. awkward for us. I was there with my girlfriend. I was like, mm, that's interesting. That is, uh, <laughs> well, well, uh, what do you want to eat after this? Cheesecake Factory this again? This disgusts me. I could talk all night. My mind looks sleepwalking. While I'm putting the world to right. Call careers information. Oliver's army is safe to stay. Oliver's army on their way. And I would rather be anywhere else. Skiba Deba do. Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello from his 1979 album Armed Forces. It's also number 475 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers, a.k.a. your home for all things fleece-related. Attention! Fleece Army, you can relax. Hope you guys are having a good week. The King of Fleece had an incredible week, and I hope you guys are enjoying your journey through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Thank you to everybody that has been doing the Instagram stories. I really want you to keep doing it. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me on it and put it on your Instagram stories, guys. Tag at Josh Adam Myers. Put hashtag the 500 podcast. Give me a 24-hour ad on your social media, and I will love you forever. If you do that, you're immediately a sergeant in the fleece army. I had an incredible week, like I mentioned. Not only did uh, I tape this episode, which I had a fucking blast uh, making, but I also did Bill Burr Presents on Comedy Central. I taped a... uh, Stand-up set for Comedy Central. Bill Burr picked 18 comics. I was one of them. We taped it at the Terragram Ballroom in downtown L.A. I went up dead last in the night, and I had the time of my life. It was a fucking perfect night, man. Everybody that performed on the tapings did incredible. Uh, The host, Jay Larson, uh, one of my closest friends from the Throughline podcast, from the Crab Feast, he was the host and just made the room perfect. And then me and uh, and Bill, after the show, we went out and smoked a cigar and just, it was, it was fantastic. So to everybody that's congratulated me from seeing it on my social media, thank you guys so much. Uh, it is a moment in my life that I am going to be holding super, super dear to me. All right, guys. Today in music for April 24th, On this day in 1976, Saturday Night Live executive producer Lorne Michaels goes on camera to offer the Beatles $3,000 to reunite on the show. Paul McCartney and John Lennon are watching at Lennon's New York City apartment and consider showing up on a lark. 
but pass up the opportunity. You know how dope that would have been if they actually would have done that? I mean, that would have changed the trajectory of of John's life for sure. I bet John's still alive if they would have shown up to Saturday Night Live. They would have jammed because guess what? They'd be like, Could we, we should probably do some gigs together. Oh, that would be great. We should definitely do some gigs, John. How about we play Madison Square Garden? We get Ringo and we get George back and we just go all kadoogly spoogly. I'd love to go and get all kadoogly spoogly. Yeah, well, that happened today, everybody. All right, a little bit about Armed Forces. Recorded in the summer of 78, released in January 79, this is the third album by Elvis Costello. The original working title was Emotional Fascism, but this album continued the biting lyrical mastery and 60s hit parade-worthy songwriting that listeners came to expect after his first two releases. And the title wasn't just ironic. Because he continued with the tradition of expressing his persona as an angry young romantic, Elvis had been the anti-fascist dude from the start. His first single from his first album was Less Than Zero. Now that was a biting critique of the fascist movement in England. On the following album, he had another swipe at the same subject with Night Rally. And it was on that second record in 1978's This Year's Model that Elvis explosively debuted his powerhouse of a band, The Attractions. But you know what's funny? They actually didn't put The Attractions on any of the album covers. The Attractions was Bruce Thomas on bass, the unrelated Pete Thomas on drums, and Steve Naive on keyboards. A year of touring for this year's model, much of it in America, had made them even tighter as they started Armed Forces. Perhaps that's why the attractions received co-billing on that and the cover of every subsequent album they were on. Most of this record was composed on the road during that year of touring in America, while Elvis's first marriage was disintegrating. As Elvis recalled, it was also inspired by all the eclectic contemporary music they were being exposed to, like ABBA, David Bowie, Iggy Pop, and Kraftwerk. As Elvis recalled, it seemed as if we were making an impossibly sophisticated leap from the sound of this year's model. But listening now, there are very few production devices that sit between the listener and the songs. We probably never had quite this level of consistent musical arrangement again. This is an interesting album, and I have a very interesting guest. My guest this week is comedian, podcaster, and writer, and also legend Dana Gould. You know him from Stan vs. Evil on IFC and Hulu, the Dana Gould Hour podcast. He's a legend in comedy. He's one of my favorites. He's also worked on The Simpsons, which is... The greatest show in television history, and the fact that I got to sit down with him when it almost didn't happen, I am so happy you guys are going to be able to sit down and listen to us break this record down. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Elvis Costello. Also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500, guys. Please subscribe. I know you're out there. I know you're listening. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you're on Apple, leave a motherfucking review. 
do it for me because I love you. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, with that being said, nothing left to say, but here we go. With number 475 out of 500 with Armed Forces by Elvis Costello. Dana good, Dana fucking good, Dana good, Dana fucking good. This is great, dude. Because I, I have, I, a, I now have a theme song. You have a theme song. <laughs> uh, I, you know what's funny is I was so excited when we first had you booked, and then when you said you might not been able to do it, and then it came back around. I couldn't tell you how oh, happy I was because nice. I've I've known you for a while, but I've wanted to sit down and just talk to you because I've I've known your comedy for years, The Simpsons, everything you've done. I've just been such a huge fan. Oh, of. you're kind. So uh, I guess let's get started with saying. Well, I just don't know where to begin. <laughs> How he used to start his live shows, because what better way to start a live show than I just don't know where to begin? Yeah, it's it's from what though I he, know. It's, he it's, says, he says it takes forever. It's now or never. This was actually my first real foray into Elvis Costello. Oh, I knew wow. the hits. I knew Pump It Up. I knew, of course, you know, actually the song that I knew the most that I've been rocking uh, in between this is She from the Notting Hill soundtrack. Which I believe is a cover of the, is it the the Monkees? No idea, but I've, I, when I first saw That's Notting cover, Hill, yeah. when I first saw Notting Hill and that song came on, I wept because mm-hmm. the movie was that powerful. It's up there with like, you know. Schindler's List <laughs> and The Last Emperor and any of those Academy Award winning films. So let me ask you. So you're you're a diehard Elvis Costello fan. I am. Yes, I just bought tickets the other day. Oh, I'm going to go to that too. At yeah, the Greek, Blondie. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm going. So how did you become a fan of Elvis Costello? Like, how did like set me take me through that? I was uh, I I got into good music late. Yeah, uh, where I w- grew up, I grew up in uh, the middle of Massachusetts. Um, I'm from the same hometown as Joe Perry of Aerosmith. Joe Perry's mother was our gym teacher in high school. Why don't you guys have the same accent? He's got like a thick <laughs> Boston. Got, he still lives there. That's that's why. <laughs> um, but where I grew up, the the music in my high school in the in the which was uh, when this stuff came out, late seventies, early eighties, was. You know, uh, Neil Young was big in my high school. Jethro Tull was big in my high school. Yeah. It was just AOR, down the road rock. It wasn't until I went to college uh, in, uh, in the fall of 82 that I got exposed to good music. And I latched onto Elvis Costello immediately because he, you know, I, I, was, I, I really liked New Wave. It, it appealed to me because of my personality. You know, David Lee Roth said the greatest thing about Elvis Costello. He said, music critics love Elvis Costello because they all look like Elvis Costello. <laughs> and he's right. And and that's how I felt. Like, I'm not a big, you know, I'm, I'm not a big rock dude with a 
big hairy chest and long hair. I'm not a Robert Plant kind of looking guy. Yeah. Um, but I look like Elvis Costello. Yeah, I look like that guy, a nerdy guy with glasses. And uh, so, uh, so, he, so he re- I related to him as a person. Uh, his music was very angry. I was full of anger. Yeah. An Irish kid from Massachusetts. And uh, and then as I got into him later, uh, you know, you just begin to appreciate the complexity of his writing and his lyrics. Or I mean, nobody writes lyrics like Elvis Costello. I'm just blown I mean, away by some of the things a, that he says. It's like it's he like, has a Cole Porter level lyrical. Yes, ability. Uh, the perfect uh, yeah. way to explain it. Because yeah. for someone like me, who, like I said, wasn't a huge fan, and then listening to it, I you're hearing these beautiful songs that are very upbeat, and then you start reading the lyrics, and you're like, "What the? Fu- this yeah. is this is like." There's a lot of a lot of like World War II references in this. There's some yes, dark, especially especially, especially in, in this, forces, yeah. yeah, in armed forces too. Yeah, there's a, yeah. I mean, he has some of my favorite lines. Uh, these aren't necessarily from armed forces, but just random lines. You're the one who hates to love, and he's the one who loves to hate. Uh, uh, one of my favorite all-time Elvis lines is from an album uh, that came out in 19. He released two albums in 1986, uh, uh, King of America and Blood and Chocolate. And uh, the, there's a lyric on uh, King of America that says, uh, don't think for a moment, dear, that we'll ever be through. I'll build a bonfire of my dreams and burn a broken effigy of me and you. Yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's it's like I, I was. That when line I, is worse than my divorce. When I, <laughs> when I started, like when I really sat down and started reading the lyrics to find out the full meanings of some of these songs, it, it just blew me away like his wordplay like the uh i'm trying to see because i know i've got them pulled up later yeah, in the I, song I, have, I have them in front of me too but go but them, let yeah. me so let's dive into this record so our album is number 475 out of 500 it's the third studio album by elvis costello right. armed forces released on january 5th 1979 produced by nick Lowe, recorded at eden studios in london so what's going on in your life the first time you heard this well the first time i heard it uh like to listen to it i was a college freshman but when this came out and i was tangential sure, yeah, we, we didn't really get uh, Elvis Costello, if I wanted to listen to Elvis Costello uh, when I was in high school, I would have had to listen to um, the radio station in Boston, W, I'm blanking on it, uh, BCN would have would have played uh, okay. Elvis Costello. Um, but we didn't listen to WBCN, we listened to WAAF, the Rock and Roll Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of heavy metal. All right now, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Baby is exactly at corner and and, uh, and uh, the Who, which is you know my favorite band. And uh, who's your favorite band? Uh, yeah, Who. It goes back and forth with Elvis Costello and the Who. Okay. Um, but uh, um, so so there was that. We didn't. Re- I wasn't really exposed to it. Like we had the. I'll give you an example. 1979. Um, I believe. Uh, Ghost in the Machine came out in 80, I think. And that's 80, the police, 80, no, right? 81, 81. Ghost in the Machine came out in 1981. Okay. Now I'm going to use a term I can't use today. Uh, in my high school, somebody did bring in uh, the Police album. I believe they brought in um, Zenyatta Mondata, which came out in 79 or 80. Yeah. The kids in my high school thought the police were, quote, fags. <laughs> Quote, because they had all dyed their hair blonde. 
Yeah, but see, it's it's yeah. like they were actually cool when that came out. Oh, it's completely. Like he, like Sting no, became a fag later. We, but we were <laughs> see. Although it was 1979, 1980, we were in 1955. No, I completely. Yeah, it, was, it was complete. Yeah, and and at the time this album comes out, so this is 1979. This is. This album comes out at the height of disco. Uh, these are the top 10. So the, the, the number one song, Billboard Hot 100, 1979, yeah. was a rock and roll song, My Sharona by The Knack. Great song. Great ab- song. About my realtor, Sharona Alperin. You being serious. Yes, she's the cover of the 45, my real estate agent. <laughs> That's about, about her. She could be a good deal. Like she, She's great. She no, if you need to buy it, yeah, if you need a realtor, Sharona Alper, she's she, awesome. Does, is that like in her like pitch to get you to use you her? Don't, well, you don't. She's, she's like, well, listen, I've sold more. I can sell homes very quickly. <laughs> also, the Kinks wrote a song about yeah, me, yeah. but that's besides yeah. the point. Let's go take the a na- look at this three-bedroom. Oh, the Knack? Oh, I was close. Yeah, but uh, no, no, she's, you don't, you know, she's huge. Like, you don't, she doesn't have to solicit work, but yeah. as I was talking to her, I guess. So, are you are you sure? Yeah, I'm surrounded. Look at the floor. Look at the album cover. Those are my boobs. Like, <laughs> she's just, awesome. She's great. I just she's love great. to believe that you guys. All right, we're gonna go check out a few places, and you turn the car on, and it says. Burn, 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 burn. All right, so it's I heard. Her. But so, let me just finish. No, ahead, this please thought. finish. So, it. my Sharona by the Knack is the number one song. Here are the other songs in the top Billboard Top 10, 1979. Bad Girls by Donna Summer. Le Freak by Chic. Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart, Reunited by Peaches and Herb, I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor, Hot Stuff by Donna Summer, All YMCA disco. by Village People, Ring My Bell by Anita Ward, and Sad Eyes by Robert John. Only two songs in the top ten aren't disco songs. Yeah. You know, this is, and then Donna Summer's right back in there, and uh, 11 and 12 is Too Much Heaven by the Bee Gees, and MacArthur Park by Donna Summer. Um, so it's the height of disco. Yeah. And also... The, the the height of, of what was called New Wave, uh, which is uh, uh, Blondie, the uh, the uh, the Police, uh, the Clash. Uh, well, oddly, the Clash would release London Calling at the end of 1979, but it was such a good album. It was considered the great. It was Rolling Stone called it the greatest album of the 80s, and uh, the the 80s was such a bad decade for music. The greatest album of the 80s came out in the 70s. Well, well, uh, Elvis was also, El- but Elvis, but was he was right considered punk as well. He was punk. He and was then, punk and, then, and new wave. Yeah, and new wave was was a record company appellation. The the musicians didn't know. Yeah, Elvis came out in, in 1977 in London with the Sex Pistols and the Clash, and, and then it was the Jam and Elvis Costello and the yeah. Attractions and. And, uh, uh, you know, all of the bands that were on his original label, um, I, I believe it was called Flip. And uh, uh, I think it was called Flip. I might be wrong. It was one word like that. And then you had like, Ian Jury and the Blockheads. Uh, Nick Lowe was uh, a big uh, producer. And then uh, Rockpile was a band that he was in. Uh, Dave Edmonds, a lot of that. Uh, pub, uh, the British pub rockers. Um, but Elvis was uh, head and shoulders above a lot of those people in terms of lyrical ability and musical ability. And one of the things that made him so famous to begin with, and I, I, I remember this, um, 1977, there's this guy named Elvis Costello. People like, you can't call yourself Elvis. There's one Elvis, and he's the king of <laughs> rock king. and roll. Right now he's on a toilet on a bunch of Percocet, but well, he's yeah, the best. Right at that time, he died. Yeah. 
And so people were doubly angry at Elvis Costello. Yes, right? oh, no, I, I can imagine. You killed him. And then he made a lot of news because he went on Saturday Night Live when uh, his second album came out, This Year's Model, and uh, they were going to play... They were here. I got uh, it. Right, I got it right here. They were play less than zero, and then they stopped and they played radio. Radio. Yeah, he, I, I saw that when it happened. Banned for. I, I think he was banned for Til almost eighty nine till eighty nine yeah. from Lauren Michaels, and supposedly when he started the song, and then and then he was like, I can't do it. I have to do this yeah. song. Uh, Lauren Michaels yeah. sat in the background, just looking at him with an enraged face, yeah. just giving him two double yeah. fingers, yeah. telling him to go fuck himself. And they and, were. And this is something that. They saw Jimi Hendrix do on a British television yes. series. He didn't want to do Hey Joe. Yeah. He wanted to do something. Or he wanted to do, uh, I think, just a, a blues song or something. I, I, I had that yeah. fact. Let me ask you but this. But the funny but, comment that Elvis Costello had was when they said, so you were going to play Less Than Zero. You played Radio Radio. They banned you. And he said, yeah, apparently it's not that live. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I read something. or I don't know if I read it or I heard it, but I have this fact in front of me. So you were a writer and an actor on the Ben Stiller show, right? Yes. Uh was it true that Ben and Judd met in line at an Elvis Costello concert that you might have been there too? No, uh, ben, and, ben, and, ben and Judd met when I brought Judd to Ben's house. Oh, okay. Ben had an apartment up on the uh, above uh, Sunset and Doheny. Yeah. And uh, he had just moved to town and he had done the Ben Stiller show on MTV and uh, he was uh, and he was he had a pilot for Fox. And everybody on that show was it wasn't cast from a casting. It was just the people that he was hanging guys, out with. Oh, and yeah. It was me and Janine Garofalo and David and Bob Odenkirk. David Cross came later, um, and it was just a social thing. I was friends with Judd from the Improv, and uh, and we were the same age, and we were both huge Elvis Costello fans. Uh, so uh, we said, "Hey, uh, you should uh, you should meet my uh, these guys. These guys are really funny." And and that's how Judd met Ben. I don't think. Why uh, do you think so many funny people love Elvis Costello? Because I talk is like when you when I thought I was going to be able to get you, I found out Jezelnik and Andy Kindler and yeah, Judd. Yeah. I reached out to all of yeah. them and and everybody was like, I would love to do this, but I'm tied up right yeah. now. Like so. So it's like, what is it? Is it is it the the sense of rebellion from something like the Saturday Night Live sketch? Yeah, is it the lyrical ability, or is it even like that he's influenced here's, by? Here's why yeah. Elvis Costello was labeled by the music press when he first broke as the angry young nerd. You know, he wore thick. He looked like Buddy Holly. He wore thick glasses. He wore a suit and a tie. You know, uh, he was, but he was angry. Yeah, he, his music is really. If you look at him, oh, he it's it's yeah, definitely it, there's it's an intense. Palpable, yeah, yeah, it's very palpable, and, and that's what a, that's what comedians are. They're angry young nerds. Uh, and 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 so it's like, oh yeah, him. I, he's my guy. I like him. So the album starts off with accidents will happen. This one took me a few minutes uh, to get into, but I just love the way that it starts. As I sang at the beginning, Peter, just hit us with that real quick. What I loved about this song is that it sounded like three separate songs. You have the verse, you have the chorus, you have the bridge, and the outro. All sounded like different, uh, like like almost like like 
a, very symphony-like. I think mean, that's a word. But it was also very upbeat, and it's funny because this is a very positive-sounding song, and yet it's about I, adultery. Yeah, I, I, it is, and and that's the the wonderful thing that the jam were great at. Paul Weller is very good at writing beautiful, and the Smiths. You know, uh, every time somebody talks about yeah. the 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 jam and, right. and Peter Paul Weller, Paul Weller, I always get him mixed up with, with RoboCop. Peter, with yeah, Peter I'm always Weller. like, you mean RoboCop with Same guy. Peter Weller? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, uh, they write beautiful songs about. Uh, but the lyrics uh, belie the the music. Uh, yeah. There's a great uh, line in um, their biggest uh, hit in the states, which uh, the 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 line is, um, "And as it was in the beginning, so shall it be in the end." That bullshit is bullshit. It just goes by different name. <laughs> it's so upbeat. Yeah, beat surrender. So beat surrender is the song. Um, yeah, it's just like it's. Yeah, it's just. It sounds beautiful, but the lyrics are very harsh, and and that's what accidents will happen is about. It's a confession 100%. of an infidelity. Yeah. So this is actually uh, in his memoir. Elvis detailed the inception of the song coming from a fling with an attractive lady driving his cab in Spain. And it's this. What I love about this song is it's filled with all the Elvis Costello stuff, the wordplay, the killer performance by the attractions, uh, and then the also- underrated the. The criminally underrated attractions. Yeah, but what's cool about this song is that uh, this could be construed as like regret or almost like smug satisfaction from some of the lyrics. You know, he he compares it to almost a car accident. We only hit and run. This song is in E.T. I know I have that fact. Also, it was in The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror from uh, the segment Wanted Dead or Alive in which Sideshow Mm -hmm. Bob kept killing Bart Simpson. Uh, did you have anything to do with that? Um, uh, Mike Scully probably had something to do with that. Mike, Mike Scully is Ren the Simpsons is as big an Elvis Costello fan as, That's as so anybody. Awesome. Yeah. Now it's like, as I'm going to watch, I'm going to see if I can find any references in any yeah. of the seasons. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been on either end of infidelity? Oh, yeah. You want to elaborate? or No. no? <laughs> okay. Have you been cheated on? Let's take it from that angle. Uh, yeah, but I've. I've done more cheating on people. You have? In my past, yeah. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. So then what is your philosophy on monogamy? Uh, Well, genetically, it's not supposed to work. (laughs) There's a book called Sex at Dawn that talks about the origin of of humanity, and it goes back to the Neanderthals and how... uh, Sex worked in the tribe, yeah, uh, and uh, monogamy is a is a, re- a religious construct, and 
you know, it, I, I I regret every infidelity that I had. Um, I don't think I'd do it again. Uh, but I will say this: this isn't you know it, it, it's 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 difficult. Uh, a relationship. I say this as a, a divorced fella. Um, is uh, you can't let it go. You can never take it for granted. You, you, the relationship, yeah. yeah. You, you know, and especially when you have children, uh, you still have to put your relationship first and you still have to... And, and people grow together or they grow apart. Um, in my case, it was, uh, it was uh, the, the former for a long time and then the latter. But I will say this. During the height of the Monica Lewinsky scandal with President Bill Clinton... We all remember that. I was in Italy... I was in Europe too. Oh, really? Yeah, they um, hated us. They were they, they kept making fun of us. All yeah. the Europeans are well, like, "Well, yeah, oh, this, woman, this woman is very well-to-do uh, woman. Uh, you know, very well wealthy Irish art collector woman." I was at this big lavish dinner at this house. Yeah, and uh, she and she just went, "What is wrong with you people? Yeah, he's a wealthy, powerful man, and he has a mistress. What, what is it? What?" <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's because you know we we were this country was founded by people who didn't think the Church of England was strict enough. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know when when people talk about well the Puritans came here for religious freedom. Yeah, they wanted they wanted the freedom of religion to practice a religion that was far more psychotically strict. Sure, than the oh. religion that was being practiced. Sure, so they wanted they wanted less personal freedom. <laughs> <laughs> More religious freedom. Uh, yeah, we're a very puritanical country, and uh, and but you know the monogamy. It's it's a, it's a global uh, uh, thing. It's it's, um, but it's certainly in, in Western culture. It's uh, it's the ideal that's not always attainable. Yeah, I was. I just went to see Judd interviewed Roger Daltrey for like the, some L.A. Speaks thing, and Roger said, you know, I've been married to the same woman since like whatever 1966, and. You know, the reason is we don't ask questions. You know, I go on tour and she just doesn't ask. And she ignores like, all my hickeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was just this ocean of silence. Like, we're not allowed to clap at that. Sorry. Yeah, it's hard, dude. <laughs> my wife's right next yeah, to me. Yeah, it's a bunch You're of people with this their very wives. awkward I was, I was there with my girl. I was there with my girlfriend. It was, and everyone's like, hmm, that's interesting. Oh, that is. Uh, <laughs> well, well uh, what do you want to eat after this? Yeah, you, exactly. you, you want to oh, Cheesecake Factory this again? This disgusts me. Yeah, well, no, well, it was very, very interesting. So let me ask you this, and this can be in any any facet. It doesn't just have to be in, in uh, uh, like a sexual relationship, but what is the worst relationship screw-up you've ever either had done or made? Anything in particular that sticks out? Yeah. What's the biggest accident? Well, I'm divorced. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think my, my really, you know, is not... Not working, you know, not not keeping the health of my marriage at the forefront of my concerns. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, I mean, we but we're we're both both guilty, and we're both close. And and my my friendship with my ex wife is my, my the fact that my kids aren't screwed up, and that my relationship with my ex wife is very happy and and healthy is the two things that I'm the most proud of in my life. I mean, that's that's ideally it. It's like I'm right now at this point in my life where I want to meet a girl to get married, mm -hmm. and that's the reason being is before when I had met some girls, I just don't think I was ready and mature enough to yeah. really jump into a relationship. I had never cheated, but I had been cheated on. I almost cheated, uh, and I got caught. 
but I never of went through it. Of course you get caught. She dug through my, she went through my Hotmail. I was using Gmail get, at the time. Of she, course. she knew I put it in my Hotmail. Of course you get caught. And Everybody gets caught. <laughs> Byron Bowers was actually the one that said to me, he goes, you better get rid of that picture. She going to find it. And I was like, I'm putting it in my Hotmail. I don't even use that. Yeah. It's deep in the phone. And but whomp, I, whomp, whomp. yeah, dude, I still you know what the funniest shit about it? I've said it on this podcast before. We were me and that girl were having a great night. Uh, we were we were sitting on the couch. She had just made me dinner, and we were watching Girl Interrupted. <laughs> uh, that was what we were watching, and I fell asleep to that. And then as I woke up, she, it, literally, she looked like Angelina Jolie from that movie. <laughs> like, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. And now she's married to Tommy Lee. So, so it's she did just, okay. She, she did okay. I she mean, okay. you know, I wonder if he honks uh, his horn still with his dick. I mean, I, what know, a, I hope so. But so do I, you know? All right, let's jump into the second song, Senior Service. Uh, any thoughts on this? Because I love this one. What's yeah. interesting about Senior Service is this album was a big departure for Elvis in terms of the sound of the songs. Uh, all of his early albums, they all have a very distinct sound. Sure. And the the album prior to this, uh, this year's model, is the album that really uh, sort of pinpointed not only what people thought of as Elvis's sound, but really jackhammered home the new wave sound of the late 70s. Well, this... That, Farfisa, Hammondy organ. And that's what I heard in this. Yeah, sci-fi organ that's really all over this year's model. But yeah, uh, yeah, this is a holdover, but... you said uh, it perfectly. Senior service has a very uh, has a much more open sound. What I loved about this, I loved the beat, I loved the melody in the chorus, I loved, like you said, the the Hammond, the ascending keyboard is what I wrote. The the just the senior service, junior dissatisfaction, so fucking catchy. Peter, do me a favor because the best part of this song, which is what I loved, is that the chorus is just like senior service is really low, and then when he goes into that verse at minute one, second twelve. Play that because it just pounds, Peter. I want your company car. I want your girlfriend in love. I want your place at the bar because there's always another man to chop off your head and watch it roll into the basket. If you should drop dead tonight, then they won't have to ask me twice. I fucking love this song. This was this. I was dancing in here. The dog was going nuts. Uh, and from what I... It's a death that's worse than fate. Oh, my God. This is literally about... a. It's like, dude, we've all been in that situation where we have a job and there's somebody stupid above us mm-hmm. that's making more money. He's literally saying you're being the junior at a company and being bitter and envious of the senior positions. Right. What's the worst... And it's also about, it's also about uh, the, the, the woeful job opportunities available to young people in Britain at yeah, that time. This which is which is then coming up in Oliver's Army, right, which is really is, yeah. going more into detail. What's yeah. the worst? And both jo- of both of these songs are uh, are cousins to the uh the, cla- the what the clash song from uh uh career opportunities. Let me ask you, what's the worst job you ever had? The worst job I ever had was delivering pharmaceuticals. <laughs> like the way it started. <laughs> I delivered drugs for a pharmacy in my hometown, but it required driving around my hometown in a van at night after school and just going to old person's apartment to senior citizen's home 
to old person's apartment to senior citizens' home. Just senior oh citizens. my god! It was just like a tour, a two every night, a two to three hour tour of the dying <laughs> in the winter in Massachusetts. It gets dark. Sun comes up at noon. It gets dark at three thirty. Oh god! Uh, and it's just freezing cold. Sticks. You didn't have your Tuesdays uh, with Maury no, moment? No. You couldn't no. just connect with somebody? No, like, hey, Ethel, how you it, doing? Well, it was awful. Okay, well, here's some facts from it. In England, the most senior of the armed forces in the Navy uh, is the Navy. And there's also a brand of cigarettes called Senior Service because of the coarse cut of the tobacco that is commonly called the Navy cut. What is your worst vice? Oh, uh, that's a, that's a great question. When I was really depressed, I would just watch way too much porn. Just sit there and watch. Not even jack off. Just just like a it, like white noise. Just eh. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, how many Asian I'm eye contact blowjob scenes can you watch? It's I just, can't watch any. <laughs> that was the worst thing. I remember my dad died. Is that what it's called, Asian eye contact? Well, that's the thing was when my dad died, that's I had to like, we had to clear out his stuff and I found the box of porn and 90% of it was Asian eye contact blowjob scenes. Oh, which was no. so weird because that's what I'm into. Oh, so no. I was like, like father, like son. No, I'm kidding. I'm not into it. I'm into no, the, it's weird. I'm into just the regular porn. Just sure, regular, just regular old vaginal. Guy, maybe maybe an asshole gets thrown in there every once in a guy while. Guy delivering a pizza. Love that. Yeah, just guy delivering a pizza. I was a PA on a porno movie. Uh, when I first moved out here, I, I I worked for Keeping Up with the Kardashians as a PA. Okay. Uh, and then, which I guess was which like is working a form for of porn. porn. Yeah. yeah a form of porn. And then I psychological. <laughs> it's porn. Like, and then I went from that, and the immediate job was then to to work for the Playboy TV channel right. for for about three months, and uh, it was actually a fun job because it would be like. It's like, you know, the, the, so the producer would run in and be like, Josh, we need you to go buy like four strap ons on the fly. And I'm like, I'm like, you got it. I'm your man. And I just right. it was great. And it's I got to go. <laughs> then you're going to craft service and people are naked. It's just it was just. Yeah, it's well, it's the least sexual. It's the least sexy thing on earth. Like like le- anything else. You know, you don't want to be there when they're doing it. So how did you stop? Uh, how did you just stop? Watching? I got happy. You I just got, got happy. Stopping. Yeah. I got, what was it know. that made you happy? Oh, I was, was at it? the end of. My, well, it was the end of my marriage and I was just, you know, just not emotional. I didn't want to. No, be I, where my, I didn't want to be where my feelings were yeah uh and then you know you go through the ugliness and then you come out and you just don't you know i mean i i i appreciate it i'm glad people have it i think the people that do it are lovely i want everybody to be safe and happy i'm yeah. not making any moral judgment about anything i've certainly enjoyed it and continue to enjoy it it's great but i don't do it when uh you know it's like it, you can do you can like anything else you can do too much yeah but also out of all the vices that you could do when you're depressed for me it was always drugs yeah so yeah yeah, to, yeah. To, I, to, I to find one that, that yeah. doesn't hurt anybody i mean it's just like no mentally... i'm very lucky yeah, i grew up in a uh, i grew up uh, uh i grew up in a family of very enthusiastic drinkers and drug abusers so for me i uh my specific role in the family was I'm going to do the opposite of what everybody else here is doing. Yeah. And that allowed me to, uh, to not be that, but I had to, to find my thing. Here's the, the other thing, my, my, in the late seventies, during the time armed forces came out, um, my father, uh, subscribed to penthouse. So we had penthouse 
in the this house. Is the, but that's the prime of it when there actually were articles. Yeah, I oh, assume and that it were... was like a phone book. It was like every month. It was a, it was a huge magazine. <laughs> so you yeah, just like, had penthouse yeah, laying like around four, the house. Forty page interview with Michael Cimino. <laughs> it was really heavy duty stuff. You really but, didn't know about the deer hunter that much. Yeah, but but it was uh, in Heaven's Gate. But he but but literally like. So I had uh, I, I had this available to me, and I was 13, 14 years old, probably too young to have it at constant availability. Yeah. Um, and but here, this is where I'm going with this. It was the late 70s, before silicon boobs were the norm, and before the Brazilian wax was the norm. So that's where I grew up. Like I, the thing that I like is women that aren't fake looking, like that. that sure. Have, I'm 100 with you. Yeah, they have body hair and they have their own boobs, and that's like a weird niche, like trying to, find, to, to especially to, in this town. But we're going to talk about how do we get here? <laughs> Oliver's Army. Yeah, which is a, a, a that's a, a, a it's a very political song. The I'm embarrassed that I don't know. The Oliver is about here. It's so the title is a reference to Oliver Cromwell, right, okay. a, the leader of the parliamentary army in the English Civil War against the Royalist Army of Charles the First. Right. Among other things, he established that was called the New Model Army, which was the first professional, properly trained, and drilled fighting force England had. And Costello's song is a general anti-military statement. Its main target is the fact that. The only real option that the unemployed have is to join the army. So British right. unemployment figures were at an all-time high when this song came out in the early 80s or when he wrote it uh, in the late 70s. And it doesn't really have anything to do with Cromwell other than the title. But he wrote this in 78 on a plane coming back from Belfast. And it was the first time he went to the city and he was shocked to see very young soldiers from the British Army walking around with machine guns. And the song covers Northern Ireland's troubles mm -hmm. and the end of the British Empire and life in the army. I do know an interesting aspect of this song that Elvis Costello cops to in uh, uh, that the, the, the uh, piano line. Go ahead, hit me with it because I got it written right there. Dancing Queen. Dancing Queen. Nick Lowe is quoted saying they were having a hard time making the song work. And Stevie, I'm going to say his name wrong, Neve? No, Steve Naive. Steve Naive said, uh, what about if we do sort of an ABBA piano part? There was complete silence. And then they knew their records were good, but no one wanted to own up to it, which is which is kind of the way I am with, with ABBA mm -hmm. because I actually loved well, it. Well, they loved ABBA, and supposedly when they were touring America, like ABBA was one of the few albums that they all agreed that they would listen to. Well, it's a fantastic... <laughs> Mamma Mia is like one of my There's favorite songs, dude. There's nothing wrong with There's great There's nothing wrong music. with it. Uh, but, but they said when, when Naive played the piano part, suddenly the song went from black and white of fireworks and to be honest with you that's what i got from this yep. Not just, just so catch dude i woke up that morning and oliver's army i could not get it out of my head i watched the music video i watched live performance the music of it. video is him i believe in uh in, he's like on beaches or yeah, like he's in bermuda or barbados and he's shit-faced this is it's just what I love. He later oh, yeah, is, you're, yeah you're, I think I have that fact as well. Completely shit faced. What I what I love about this, this is a bright pop song, like we said before, but it is it's so lyrically heady. It's yeah. so heavy. It's so dark. He's talking about just the just the saying like, you know, the checkpoint Charlie didn't crack a smile, right. murder mile. Then, yeah. you know, the uh which we're gonna get to in a second, we're gonna talk about the one lyric. But Hong Kong is up for grabs. London's full of Arabs. Like, 
Churchill. This is about. Yeah. This is really about still to we this could day. Be in, we could be in Palestine, overrun by a Chinese line with the boys. From yes, the, with the boys from the Mersey and the Thames and the Tyne. But that is, is. But do, with, they, with other British children. Yes, but really but what I'm saying, Dana, I'm like, what what I love about this is that this is a real dark song yeah. about the shit that's going down with these young kids still happening today in America Absolutely. and and he puts this little bow on it and so people wouldn't even know. Yeah. People have no idea. I can't, t- I didn't, I would have never, you know, if I just would have heard this in passing, I'd be like, oh, it's a great song. It's probably about uh, love and um, hey, he's traveling yeah. in it. He loves China. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, but I love that when you, you put, you know, you 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 hide the message. Yes, in a, I love in a, that too. In a, in a in a bright poppy song. Peter, play uh, the third verse at a minute uh, fifty. And then also, you coming from that part. Going into the way that it builds to the final chorus with the outro of the ooh, the oh, 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 oh. It's just so perfect. Now, now the phrase that you can't say is an allusion to uh, the Troubles, which is... Yes, so so the single, because of this line, would have been released in America were were it not for the use of the N-word. Right. He says, and the, the lyrics are, all it takes is one itchy trigger, one more widow, when less white N-word. Right, and that was a, that was a reference to what uh, Irish Catholics in Northern Ireland were yeah. called. So that they for, were killing, that they were in the troubles. They were shooting. The Protestants were killing the Catholics. But his father <laughs> also, his father also defended it because he was like, he's not a racist person. It's yeah. just he's making this comparison. And and I mean, honestly, from what I know, well, it's, it was also it's a, it was it was nineteen. The song was written in nineteen seventy eight. Totally different time. Totally different. Totally time. different time. You know, it, it that was when Pete Rose was dating thirteen year olds. So yeah. I mean, no. that was no, his I, excuse. He was like, it was the seventies. Yeah, it was know? just a, it was. I was <clears throat> the, take us down a road. We don't need to go down to, but I'll just give you an example. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. Things change so drastically in such a short amount of time. The other day, I was home. Uh, I was back uh, back east. I've been going back and forth to Boston, and I was sitting with my dad. Yeah, and uh, we were <laughs> we were watching. Uh, one, we watched Gran Torino, and watching Gran Torino with my dad is like watching King Kong with a gorilla. <laughs> uh, and and uh, get off my lawn. Yeah, that's right. And then we watched High Plains Drifter. I, I feel is, like I know that, but it's I'm a not. Clint Eastwood movie from okay, 1973. Yeah. He's the man with no name. He's a gunslinger. He comes into this town. Sure. He straightens up the town. He rapes a woman in the movie twice. Good God! But he's the star of the movie, and it's just this thing that happens, and then it goes. You know, it's like. You know, why didn't she, you know, and and it was just one of those things where, yeah, in the early 70s, yeah, it was just like, oh, she said no. That means she wants she wants to fight. It was like, <laughs> no, it didn't mean no. No meant she wants you to force her to do it. And this was and, and that was commonly held. And, oh, good and, God. You know, and this was 1973. This isn't a century ago. Yeah. This is just 1973. We come to awareness uh, and Moss later, you know, after about a hundred years, we thought slavery maybe a bad idea. Yeah. And half the country went, "You're out of your mind. It's a great idea." Yeah. That was the birth of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But, but, um, but and and so so you have to understand that this was a, a different time, and that word 
uh, in this in, in this instance is referring to Irish Catholics. It's be, so it's be, like like he said, it's com- he's being completely misunderstood by the American right. radio stations. Let me ask you, in what ways are you misunderstood? Well, I will talk about stuff like that on stage. Like I like to talk about like the high plains drifter on stage. Yeah. And people will think you're making rape jokes. No, I'm making jokes about the fact that we now have a hyper awareness of rape jokes. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, in the movie Goldfinger, James Bond rapes a lesbian straight, you know, this was not 300 years ago. I watch was, some of these movies. Yeah, no, I it's, mean, it's like, it's, it's ins- mind blowing. It's insane. Sean Connery. It, yeah. It's insane. He would do that. <laughs> well, she was, honey, uh, her name was Pussy Galore. It's right there. Yeah. Uh, and then he th- he forces himself on her, and then later she saves his life, and he goes, how do you think, why do you think she turned on Goldfinger? Well, maybe I appeal to her maternal instincts. <laughs> you know, it's like, he, he, it's just like, it was just a different time. You yeah. Can't, you can't joke about those things. So do you um, find that- But the- I'm fascinated by- by the constantly changing line and where it is. I, I and I and I like to explore that on stage. That brings us in to big boys. Uh, this is another one that I instantly loved. I love the way it starts slow and then kicks in. Amazing and bass work by Bruce Thomas. Incredible in bass work. Yeah. Uh, Peter, play the chorus because there's a line in it that I can't get out of my head. I shall I just love how he keeps saying, trying so hard to be like the big boys. Where at first, I couldn't tell if this song was about puberty or infidelity. Puberty, because of the way it starts. I'm starting to function in the usual way. Everything is so pro- provocative. Very, very temporary. And then in cheating, when the whole, in verse two, where he says, I was caught in the suction by a face like a truncheon. I was down upon one knee stroking her vanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the list at the end kind of helps prove that. Well, she'll be the one ending with the definite, so you can cross her off your list. I think this shows a man who's made a bunch of tough decisions, but who is ready to get on with the next phase of his life. Yeah, it's about a boy who wants to be a man and he can't. Exactly, exactly. So let me ask you, what are what are some of the most disappointing and some of the fulfilling things now that you're a big boy? <laughs> What are the most disappointing things? Sure. In my in my life currently, or that I whatever I, I like mean growing <laughs> up. Like, um, well, I, I'll I was thinking of this recently. I did uh, uncabaret the other night. I know that room, yeah. Right, which I hadn't done in, in uh, forever, and I was in the original school of comedians that started that in the the nineties, and it was uh, it was a big thing here in L.A. Uh, it was at Luna Park every Sunday night, Uncabaret. We were the hot ticket in town, and it was uh, Beth Lapidus who books the show. And it was the comedians. It was that whole group. Me, Andy Kindler, Kathy Griffin, Bob Odenkirk, David Cross, Janine Garofalo, like the whole Ben Stiller group. Um, and all, all those, Julia Sweeney, all those alternative comedians. Well, that's such a great it was, list. It was, it was a great group. Uh, and so that was the mid-'90s. And then I hadn't done it in a long, long time. And then I went back and did it. And I was thinking, there's a reason I'm going here how my life has changed since i would like so what are you doing sunday night i have uncab uh oh so everything that i thought was going to happen with my life none of it happened 
uh, other stuff happened. Yeah. That was better that I, that I wasn't aware of. Uh, I thought I would become a big star because everybody told me I was going to be a big star. Didn't happen. Have a great career. Uh, live, you know, I, I feed myself sure. and I didn't have the awareness that there's a, there's a, there's a middle ground. You, you, you can work and be here and, and live your life. And, uh, you're not a giant movie star yeah. or a giant TV star. Um, well, I think that's a lot of people's expectations when they move yeah. out here. Everybody wants to be a big yeah. star. And then we realize it's like, I love this life. I love where I'm at right yeah, I'm now. I'm happy to work. The... I'm happy to work. Exactly. And what I, what I didn't realize at the time that was, was the biggest thing is, uh, is my kids, uh, that how much, uh, and until you have them, you don't know what they do to you. And, and the way they would change my life and my perspective uh, on on life and the and the beautiful gift that certainly for me personally that my kids gave me which was it's it's not about you yeah. anymore that's a really a lot of people kick against that i when i my first daughter uh came in uh, to my life i was like oh this is awesome it's just about them yeah so i can just relax i know this even this is like i'm taking this to a level of you know, it's still the same in the same vein, but having the dog, like when I sure, got yeah, the dog, yeah, totally, totally. when I got Lekka, I, everything in my life changed. Yeah, I became, yeah. I wasn't selfish anymore. It was about how can yeah, I make. You're not supposed to have, you're not supposed to think about yourself all that much. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. You know, that's why I think it's weird. Trump doesn't like dogs. It's a weird thing. Does he not? Hates dogs. Fuck him, dude. Doesn't like dogs. Green shirt. What kind of dude doesn't like dogs? Uh, Trump. <laughs> green, oh, green shirt green shirt is a great uh is is a, again a very elvis costello's publishing company for a while was called plangent visions which really? is a, yeah is a skewed dark visions uh which a green shirt is certainly that about uh um the the green shirt worn by a newscaster yes cheerily uh, cheerily telling you about the horrible toilet of the world angela rippon Yes. That's a, this is about which I well I I got so confused at what this is I thought this was the most British song on the record, uh, Peter play the chorus. So once again, this is a dark song, dark undertones in a very cute song. And like he said, this is about the BBC newsreader and intellectual sex symbol, Angela Rippon, who Elvis had seen walk by him after he had just played a BBC musical program, Top of the Pops. And you can hear it in these lyrics. He's like, there's a smart young woman on a light blue screen who comes into my house every night. She takes all the red, yellow, orange, and green, which is the colors of the BBC. Yeah. And then she turns them into black and white. It's like, I mean, which is also taking all of the colors of the world and turning it into right, wrong, good, bad. Yes. Yes. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station. It was a lifestyle. Cleveland is is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Who out there? 
Yes, welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! So let me ask you this. Who were some of your childhood crushes uh, that you got to meet? Oh, oh, that I got to meet. I don't know if I ever met this person, but we did exchange letters. Who? Diana Rigg, who was in the Avengers in, in 19, in the 60s. Yeah. I mean, she was a, I, I mean, I had a crush on a woman from 20 years before, you know, I was like, she was a nice old lady by the time I had a crush. But, oh my God, she was so uh, crazy, crazy, crazy hot. Dude, the, the, um, the look of the girls in the 60s, that like shag with the, uh, oh, it's just the high boots. Yeah. She's in, Game of, she's in Game of Thrones now. Who is she in Game of Thrones? She's one of the old ladies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Diana Rigg. She just, just stunning. So, stunning woman. And, uh, and it's very funny. Um, there's, a movie that I, there's a movie that I love called The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. It's a Don Knotts comedy from okay. the 60s. I think I know of it. Very simple. You know, but it's a beautiful movie. Really very, 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 very funny. Really well-made movie. And uh, his love interest, this woman, uh, Alma, was an actor, 60s actress named Joan Staley, or Stanley. I think it's Staley, actually. Uh, I met her. Now she's just this nice old lady. And I said, uh, oh, my God, I had such a crush on you when I was a kid. Yeah. And she said, did I ruin it? Because <laughs> she's like a grandmother now. I was like, no, no, we didn't ruin it. Now you're still hot. What are you doing, lady? Yeah, what are you doing? You almost have to. Let me you grab your rascal you scooter and well, let's the, get uh, the fuck out of here. Well, the other one, the, the last one was uh, the most obvious. It's so funny. It took me so long because it was too obvious. I didn't realize it was. Um, uh, the woman that was Vampira in the 50s, uh, Myla Nurmi. From Plan 9 from Outer yeah, Space? Yeah. She, she was hot. She was crazy hot. And uh, she and I were incredibly close. Uh, I, We were friends the last 15 years of her life. Well, you've done a lot of the stuff with the Plan 9, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. like your shit. So that's, like, that so that's shit. that. I mean, but no, no, you're right. No, you're right. No, but and, my, and Myla and I were, were very, very close. That's we got to be, it's got to be uh, uh, just, I mean, for for something. It's weird. It's, got, it's weird? Yeah, it's weird. Why is it weird? Well, because, it, you know, for a while there, she passed away uh, in 2008. But for a while there, you know, like you'd watch Plan 9, which is a movie that I love. And then you'd watch it and you're like, oh, God, I got to call her about her light bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because you know, I was like, you know, I helped her get an apartment and all this. You know, she had to move and she was elderly. And this so kind of takes away from your fantasy a little yeah, bit. Oh, no, no the fantasy's gone. The fantasy's gone. The fantasy's gone forever. <laughs> well, not only is this That's about Angela Rippon, this is also happens to be about the Hungarian Nazi party known as the Green Shirts, owning right. to their standard uniform of a green button-up dress shirt. And uh, this is when the song ta- then takes a turn into Elvis's paranoia about the rise of groups like the National Front, right. a far-right fascist political party in the UK. 
uh, perhaps Elvis could feel that the coming election of Margaret Thatcher's right-wing government would soon cause a resurgence in these types of hate groups. Sometimes the only way to fight unimaginable circumstances is with ridicule. It's true, and we have that now. One of the problems that Britain had in the late 70s was an incredibly stagnant economy, and when people are out of work, White nationalism rises. Yeah. Uh, and we have that here in America now for the, for the same, well, they, ostensibly for the same reason, although the unemployment is at 2%. Um, but uh, when economic times are, in times of economic insecurity, uh, nativism uh, yeah. rises. It's, it's math. It just, this happens and then that happens. No, I believe it. And uh, again, uh, there was a giant march because when punk, started in Britain in the 70s, the fashion aspect of it uh, was, you know, Doc Martin boots and short haircuts, and it was not dissimilar to the look of the National Front, which was a neo-Nazi organization. Yeah. And that uh, punk wanted very stridently to say that, no, we're about the opposite of that. We are about... Uh, inclusiveness and it's everybody uh, we're all together there was a giant uh, concert in Hyde Park called uh, Rock Against Racism that uh, that the Clash headlined and uh, and they had uh, their song it's uh, one of my favorite songs uh, called uh, Clampdown working for the Clampdown mm-hmm. which is about guys joining the National Front they take off a turban and say is this man a Jew you're working for the Clampdown they'll put up a poster saying we earn more than you you're working for the Clampdown we will twi- we will teach our twisted speech to the young believers we will turn our blue-eyed men into young believers and it's all about the, the, the lure of white nationalism as an easy solution to complex problems, which doesn't work. Well, building off of that, have you noticed a difference in how comedy is executed since Trump came to power? Yes. Um, it doesn't go in the way that I thought. How did you um, think? I thought it would be... I thought it would just be... All comedy would be all about what an asshole Trump is. And I don't see it, in my experience, I don't see much of it at all. Because uh, there's no openness to criticism of him from his supporters. Yeah, not at Uh, all. You know, I voted for Bill Clinton twice. I also told a lot of jokes about Bill Clinton. Sure. That's That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's like... But, But Trump's entire presidency is based on insecurity, anger, resentment. Uh, it's, it's not an open, it's not, these aren't open people. So it, it's, 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 divi- you know, it's divided. You're not going to change anybody's mind. Yeah. Uh, and um, I don't really touch it at all. I touch it in other ways. Um, <clears throat> also, it's just, there's nothing funny about it. You know, there's nothing funny about a kid in a cage at the border. There's no way to make that funny. Yeah. And I don't want to make light of him in a way that lessens some of the, the stuff, stuff that, that he's, he's done, doing. Yeah. That I, that I find truly evil. Yeah. And, and he's not, he's not doing it because he hates children. He's doing it because his political base hates Mexicans. 
So the more he tortures Mexicans, the more his political base is loyal to him, which keeps him in power. Yeah. Because that's what he likes. Yeah. Whatever keeps him in power doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, completely. All right, which well, is the banality of evil. You, you summed that up perfectly. All right, moving on to another part and without of, a we, laugh, which without, is no, the but state that's of great. That's, that's, that's so great, though. That was I loved that. Uh, so green shirt name check. The, I'm going to say this wrong. The Quisling Clinic, Quislings, the Quisling a, Clinic, a building Elvis saw while on tour in Wisconsin because it was founded by relatives of Vidkun Quisling, right. the fascist prime minister of Norway during the Nazi occupation. Right. Elvis thought. It sounded like the kind of place where nefarious medical experiences would be carried out. True. And it has a double meaning in the song anyway, because Quislings are people who uh, uh, have positions of power that completely sell out their beliefs to stay in power. Yeah. I would, I, would, I uh, have often said, like, Lindsey Graham is a great example of a Quisling. Yeah, dude. He's, he's, that motherfucker is a Quisling, complete Quisling. for sure, yeah. And I have a very, very good friend. Who's a Quisling? Who's a Republican strategist that is a a, a, a professional, a professional Republican, um, who uh, worked for Jeb Bush's campaign and worked for John McCain. Uh, hates Trump, uh, and and referred. He goes, I don't. You know, a lot of these guys, I knew them. I, I knew them. They were really good guys. They're all Quislings. All right, let's go into Party Girl. This is a great song. Uh, I love the opening line. I love the way that he sing it, sings it. They say you're nothing but a party girl, just like a million more all over the world. Yeah. And for years, there were rumors that this was about the affair uh, that Costello had with model Liv Tyler's future mom. B.B. Buell. B.B. Buell. Yeah. So how did... But si it's not. It's about someone I know. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, well, like you're saying, it's in his autobiography, he explained that he wrote Party Girl as an apology letter to a young art student from the North County Fair. How do you know her? Uh, she uh, lives in Minneapolis, and I have a ton of friends in Minneapolis. I go to Minneapolis all the time. And uh, the, You, you have like, deep connections to Elvis. Uh, you're yeah, fucking real in her? You, you know, the <laughs> art student? What the fuck, dude? Yeah, she's a, she's, a, she's a very, very talented musician in her own right. Yeah. They talked for a while after one of the shows, and the encounter was somehow written in a local newspaper in a way that apparently slandered the girl's reputation. Um can I ask you this? I mean, you don't tell me who she is, but did uh -huh. she um, is is she okay with the song or is she like Yeah, 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 she's fine. She's, she's a musician, you know. Okay, she, cool. She's, yeah. She's an incredibly uh evolved person. What's the uh what's the worst press you've ever gotten? Dana Gould was overly loud and largely unoriginal. It was a review of You came me. up with that so fast. It was a you, usually of, people are like, ah. No, it and was you're a like, review of me in the San Francisco comedy competition from 1985 or 86. That's cool. And I remember like, getting the paper. I was with a bunch of people, too. It was like, the review of the show is out. Oh, let's see. It was like that scene in Ed Wood when they're like, the review yeah. of the play. Yeah. Like, the costumes were good. That's positive. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was just like, it's just in the newspaper. Dana Gould was overly loud and largely unoriginal. Yeah, oh, that's fucking great. Yeah. What I love most about this song is the outro. The outro steals the show, in my opinion. Peter, play minute two, second 24.
Bruce Thomas's bass playing on this is amazing. It reminds yeah. me of Paul McCartney's melodically busy but beautiful playing on something from Abbey Road. Later on, obviously, Paul and Elvis became songwriting partners right. for a while, and about the same time that Elvis fell out with Bruce. Have you lost any friendships or partnerships due to success or any sub- subsequent growth in the industry? Lost friendships? No, people grow apart, but I don't have people that I would call enemies. Or so. I know Elvis and Bruce had a uh, the Bruce wrote a book called The Big Wheel that was sort of a uh, a uh, Romana Clay about being with the band. Yeah, and that did not go over well. Really, <laughs> with Elvis, yeah, and uh, and then they had a rapprochement, and Bruce came back, uh, and they did two albums together. But uh, at one point, and I might be having this wrong, that uh, Bruce said he was he was so bored he was playing bad on purpose to see how the band could accom- could overcompensate. Yeah, and that was the last draw with Elvis, and he was sacked for good. I wonder, I, that story could be wrong, but um, it was something about that. Uh, and then I uh, was replaced with a guy from L.A. Uh, named Davey Farragher, and then the attractions became the Imposters. Oh. But the other two members are the same. Bruce uh, Bruce Thomas is gone, but Pete Thomas, no relation, is still the drummer, and Steve Naive is still the keyboard player. Well, how has the meaning of friendship altered with success? Well, not with. I mean, I, my success has been so gradually a- accumulating that it hasn't really changed. So it's, yeah, there's not like a <laughs> but, it's but, not but, like but, a Tiffany Haddish moment where it's suddenly like you're here and then you're fucking. No, that, I've never had that. But um, but I will say, as I you know, I get older, like I, I, you you value friends. Like I have, you know. Um, I'm going on tour this spring with Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, we're all going all over the country. A bunch of one-nighters called the show with two heads. Nice. And, you know, Bob, I've known Bob since I started in the mid-80s. Police Academy? You knew before him during that, Police Academy. I knew him before Police Academy. Fuck. And I knew him in 84, 83. Uh, and you really, you know, you value that. Because, you know, you, you, you get to the point in your life where you both know people that have died. Yeah. Before their time. Yeah. And you're like, hey, you're still around. I'm still around. Uh, and, and you know, you, you there's a great story about, I don't know what island it was, some tropical island, and, and Paul McCartney was staying on the island, and Keith Richards was also staying on the island. And they knew each other, you know, obviously from the early days. But you wouldn't put those two guys together and think they would be buddies. They don't I mean, seem, I mean, I kind of would. I don't yeah. know. You would think. I mean, but I thought but there's a little rivalry, maybe. Yeah. And but, but no, yeah, apparently they would hang out. Like Paul would get up in the morning, walk over to Keith's house, and they would just hang out all day. One's vegan, one's on Vicodin. I mean, yeah, those yeah. start with right. V's. I mean, but also it's like who else can know what it's like to be me? You exactly. Yeah, and uh, I love you know you really you you value these friendships you had for a long time. Do you still have? A, I mean, with all those people that I'm you very, mentioned, very it's lucky. like I have, I have my three or four closest friends I've had for 30 years. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah I've seen that. It's with a lot of the guys that I started with. It's yeah. just, I might not even see them on the regular anymore, Yeah. but as soon as we get together, it's like, we knew what it was like having no money. We knew yeah. what it was like struggling to get anything. And now that we've gotten it, it's yeah. like, it's a beautiful, Beautiful thing. Yeah, de- definitely. All right, Goon Squad. And this picks up right where the outro for Party Girl leaves us. Right. Probably the most intense song on the album. Like yeah. you were saying, the thumping bass and the drums. It's great. not an aggressive album. It's a very pop 
Yes, but this is but this is definitely this is the biggest this is the biggest with the ah 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 play the best part Peter at a minute fifty four when it's just bass and vocals and the drums where everything else drops out and it's just that. Lyrically, it's like a kid's note home from a concentration camp. There's a sinister danger the singer is trying to escape. What were some of your childhood fears? <laughs> you still got them? Yeah, I still have them. I had uh, a terrible, uh, I, I had crazily irrational fears. Uh, if, my, uh, if, my, if my mother went to the grocery store, she'd never come home. Yeah. If, uh, if we were in the class and the teacher stepped out for a moment, she wouldn't come back. Uh, I had no sense of security. I still fear being alone in an elevator. Really? Like, that it's going to get stuck. And yeah, I no think a lot of people do. That's still always. And no one's going to save me. And this is where I die. That's my... That's where I go with it immediately. At the Ramada in Tulsa? Yeah. Like, the elevator's going to get stuck. <laughs> the Blue Whale Comedy Festival people will yeah. never find me. Yeah, that's my theory. Like, it's going to get stuck, and no, it's the same irrational fear. Yeah. It's going to get stuck, and no one's going to come. That's, that, that's flat out. Has it gotten easier as you've gotten older? I mean, like, or no, to the point that you can't survive, really? Yeah, it's gotten worse. All right. Well, let's, let's read some of the lyrics. Thinking and you, of- know how I, you know how I deal with it? How? White knuckles, <laughs> white knuckles, and then porn afterwards. You gotta, you gotta have some porn as you soon as you're do done. It. You just gotta do it. Uh, what I love about this is thinking up the alibis that everyone's forgotten. Just another mummy's boy gone to rotten. They pat some good boys on the back and they put some to the rod. But I never thought they'd put me in the goon squad. And Costello, what I love about that is he's pointing out that the cuddling of your child and catering in their every whim. Uh, almost like they're some sort of pharaoh, won't prevent them from growing up to be an overly entitled jerk. But Goon Squad traditionally stands for a group of mercenaries or thugs for hire who were put to work to intimidate and often violently stifle union uprisings. Who is in your Goon Squad? Oh, I just, I I would consider my agents my Goon Squad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. Popeye, the, the also the Popeye comic strip. My anyway, ex-wife used to be my goon. She's squad. in your goon well, squad. She was an agent, so she's like, "Go get him, go get him, Tiger." You want a goon squad you for need your team squad, because yeah. you got to be the nice guy. You're you such a nice, nice guy. guy. You, you nice know, guy. you need you need your people to be the pieces yep. of shit that get you the most amount of money. Yeah. Thank you, William Morris Endeavor. Love you guys. The Popeye comic strip and later cartoon character Alice the Goon contributed to the Alice use. The goon. U, contributed to the use of the term to describe large, oafish, and stupid characters. So we're talking about yeah. cartoons now. So I have yeah. to ask this because I have a tattooed on my arm. Oh yeah. What do you consider? I didn't notice that. You didn't. I showed you this. We were at Moon Tower before. Oh, you have no. I. I'm. I'm like. I have David Silverman. Yeah. He drew a picture of me when I went to one of the readings. I cried when I met Tress. 
because I, I, because I well, love. Well, Tress is awesome. I love it's. I got the tattoo just so yeah. I could get Agnes Skinner, who I think wow. is the Did most. Did she see that? Oh my god, dude! They well, first of all, Nancy like completely just like took pictures of my arm, put oh, me on her yeah. Instagram, and I already knew Yardley from. Uh, we we used to go to the same gym together. Okay, but I mean, I was like this kid that yeah. was like oh, that's so this funny. dude. I watched The Simpsons. Every night when I go to sleep, because it just makes me feel good. You talk about those yeah. childhood fears. Sure. It makes me feel that, that comfort food. That it's, it, it's matzo ball soup. Man. Yeah. Uh, so I have to ask this. What I do you that. consider Not the Simpsons? I have what do you consider your most endearing or most notable contribute contributions to the Simpsons universe? Oh, well, probably most notable is the character of Ling Bouvier, which is the adopted Chinese daughter of Selma Bouvier, Marge's sister, is based on my oldest daughter, uh, Lulu, who uh, that, that whole episode was written about when I went to China and adopted my daughter. So that's, that's oh, that the is... last equivalent. And, uh, my, and Lulu was watching The Simpsons one day, and uh, th- sure, sure, she came on, and they said, honey, that's you. And uh, she said, uh, yeah. And I go, no, honey, that's you. That's based on you. That's in the episode Daddy wrote. She goes, yeah, I like Bob's burgers. <laughs> Do you, when you reflect and, on... And the meme, I have a meme, which is uh, from a joke that I wrote, which is... Uh, Old man yells at cloud. That's that's my. Joke. That's my. That's that's on the newspaper article, yeah, right? That's my. That's. Joke. Um, I did give the show its first on-screen suicide. I don't want to brag. Um, in uh, Homer the Mo, Mo's bartender. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He walks into the. Yeah. He walks into yeah. the lake. And that to to its credit, that was. Jordan. I'm dying, I'm, Homer. I'm dying, Mo. And he walks <laughs> cancer. Do would you have a cure for cancer? Yeah, because that would be great. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was George Meyer, actually, is the one that had the idea that he just, I'm dying, and walked into the lake and drowns. So it was, in all credit, it was George Meyer's joke, but we did it at the table read, and, and Matt Groening turned to me and he went, 13 seasons without a suicide. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I love it, and I just I can't thank you from the bottom of my heart for for. That's for a good just, episode. That's it's a great R. episode. REM was in that episode. It's where he uh, it's he tries to do the Fonzie thing, and he cracks his head over oh, and bleeding. Yeah. He's like, yeah, and then he snaps, and all the blood goes all over the place. I love it, man. All right, let's get into busy bodies. Uh, Peter, play sixteen seconds in. See, I didn't like this one at first, but it grew on me. What I did like the most about this song is that it has this Bach melody. It just has this very classical feel to it in the structure of the song. And what I liked about this is that this is a cleverly articulated takedown of how Elvis viewed sex in the 70s. He described this sexual experience as the empty exercise it really is and the yearning for love that we hope and often delude ourselves that it would lead to. Now, let's not forget that Elvis was raised a Catholic and still holds on to many moralist views in many of his songs. Mm -hmm. Yes, he does. Do you ever feel relieved that you missed the sexual revolution? Uh, I caught the tail end of it. (laughs) I, I was touring on the road before AIDS, which... That fucking put a... 
speed bump and everything. Well, they were very smart in letting straight people think that they could also get it because otherwise they would have never found a cure. Um, so that I don't begrudge that, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was nuts. Well, you were. I ra- slept with more people than somebody who looks like me should have. Well, you're smart. You're funny. That's that's the key, dude. So, yeah. you're, you're you are cute. You're adorable. I think. You know what I mean. And even when you were younger, we should, you we were, should say dude, I'm wearing bib overalls and no shirt. He, I mean, he looks ridiculous. But I mean, that's <laughs> but that's oh, yeah, goes without saying. But what? But also, you were you were raised Catholic, right? Yeah. yeah so, do you still have any of that moralist view, whether oh, sure, you're still practicing sure. or not? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, and you, it's so deep in you, and I, you know, you you try not to uh, let it control your life you know it's it you know i i've i support a woman's right to choose uh i've never had to i've never been in the position where i was involved in a pregnancy being uh aborted yeah and i'm really glad about that no i completely i get it it's like i wouldn't want to make that call and it's as a man it's not my call to make um but uh yeah there is there are a lot of moralistic views that uh, that uh, especially as catholics which is why the entire uh scandal with the catholic church and the and the, and the abuse at the hands of the priests to me it's it's undercovered it's like like you impose this ridiculous moral code on a on generations of people and you're criminals you know that that's the that's yeah. the joke. Is like whenever whenever the the archdiocese makes a big speech about something, I'm like, no, you don't have a moral voice anymore. Go back to being a real estate <laughs> yeah. scandal. Uh, well, that's funny that we're talking about this because we're going into Sunday best. You know how I did that? <laughs> this uh, it sounded to me like a circus song. Uh, the yeah, waltzing. It's got a throughout. beautiful. It's got a very beautiful waltz, thing. and there's a beautiful uh, uh, whatever that kind of organ is. Also, in the same organ is. From the benefit uh, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Yes, completely. Also, though, uh, this song isn't very well known in America because it was cut off the album here right. for being too British. Being too British, and, yes. it, and it got substituted with the song, the, the final song of what we'll be talking about. But after reading the lyrics, it sounded le- it sounded very much like a racist who's standing in his underpants on a Sunday morning ranting about immigrants. Because mm-hmm. if you read these lyrics, don't look under your bed, an arm, a leg, a severed head, read yeah. about their private lives, the songs of praise of the reader's wives. This is where, it, listen to the decent people, though you treat them just like sheep, put them all in boots and khaki, blame it all upon the darkies. I yeah. mean, that's dark as fuck for such yeah. a beautiful waltz. Yeah. Uh Today, instead of just yelling, though, at people in our houses, we have Twitter, like you were talking right. about yeah, earlier. Yeah. How has social media empowered voices and opinions, and how has it also taken away power? Well, I think it's given people the false belief that just because they have an opinion about something that other people have to honor it. Yeah. No, completely. Yeah. I, I don't, mean, if, you're, if you're offended by that, stop reading it. Yeah. I don't have to stop doing it because it bothers you. Uh, the best, I, I I don't know whose this joke was. It, it might have been it might have been Sarah Silverman. It might have been Steve Agee. I'm not sure exactly who it was. It was a uh, if you're opposed to gay marriage, don't get gay married. <laughs> 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 you, you know, it's just like if you don't like, who cares? I, I don't care what you think. You know, uh, I mean that's the problem with so many people is that like I mean I I had to turn off CNN. 
I just couldn't watch it yeah. because I was constantly mad. Yeah, and I and I I've agree. done every agree, yeah. I've done everything in my power, Dana, to avoid getting into a fight with somebody yeah. on social media. And there are, I mean, it's there's just I, idiots. I just got to the point where I would just go. Clearly, we disagree. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Which is a great way to do it. But then there's a lot of other comics that we know that just will get into these battles. Yeah, there's no point to it. So how do you do... And I've had people come up to me at shows and say like, hey, really nice to meet you. We got in a huge fight on Twitter. What? (laughs) Like to them, it's just a game. To them, it's just a game. Yeah, there are people that literally think it's a game. And then there's people that are are on the other end. Yeah, yeah. you motherfucker. Yeah, and then they meet you and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. It's so nice to meet you. Your show was so great. (laughs) We got into this big battle for like like, two weeks. You remember me? Yeah, it's crazy. But I will, if I see that racist frog, I will block you. Good. Yeah. Fuck the frog. Yeah. Moods for Moderns. I love this song. Beautiful uh, song. Beautiful pop song. Great construction. Sounds like a great, 70s porno song. Great kind keyboards of. by Steve May. It's got that 70s yep. porno feel. Also, I wrote this. Uh, I also, I think Huey Lewis might have stolen from this song. Well, you know. It's a very big Huey Lewis in the news feel. Go ahead. Huey Lewis, the news, when they were known as Clover, were the backing band on... My aim is true. Elvis's first album. Actually, I found that fact as well. Yeah, but it's it was immediately it was like this. This sounds like something off a of sport. It really does. Peter, play the first verse. This sounds like it's about the regret you can get when you think you can do better in a relationship and then realize you had it pretty good after the person is long gone. Um, what Was there a relationship that you regret letting go of? Not letting go of, but losing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple that I like, oh, don't go. Yeah. Please don't but go. But you just don't know it. While it's like, yeah. it t- it's always years later where you're like, fuck, man. Karen. No, I was. I, I love was, you, Karen. I was. Please. No, yeah. It wasn't. No, I didn't get it years later. I got it 10 minutes later. Really? No, no. This is a terrible thing. Yeah. Years, years, years ago. All right. All right. But also, to, to, to piggyback off that song, this is also one of the hippest songs on the album. It's the yeah. way it swings. What's the hippest you've ever been or felt? The hippest I've ever been or felt was that period when, uh, in the early 90s, when uh, we were all hanging out, like, you know, that group I was talking about, like, Judge, Janine, and, and that whole group. It was, like, it was the only time in my life I was with the cool kids. Yeah. You know, for a brief, for a brief and shining moment. I was in the I was in the cool kids. I mean that that must have been. Did you guys know you were all about to do something very special? No, like, no, 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 no. We just thought we were do something funny. We were all just trying to be as funny as we thought. We were trying to be as funny as Albert Brooks. Like we all loved yeah. Albert Brooks. He's so and, great. Uh, he's a genius. And uh, and that was our big obsession. Like oh god, like it's funny in that apartment. 
in Ben's apartment, he had the poster for real life was in the bathroom. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just like, can we come up with something as funny as something that he would do? And, I just remember uh, watching defending your, your life. life with my dad and just him in tears, crying, yeah. laughing. It's just so, he's so brilliant. Have you ever seen modern romance? I haven't. No, oh, that's his best movie. And, uh, and Stanley Kubrick called him up and said, you made the movie about jealousy that I wanted to make. Wow. Yeah, he loved that movie. Yeah. I'm going to watch it now. Yeah. And, oh, it's amazing. Chemistry class. Mm-hmm. Beautifully brilliant song. Once again, has a very classical feel to it. Peter, play the chorus. You got a chemistry class. I want a piece of your mind. You don't you started. According to Elvis, chemistry class was a reaction to the complacence of some of the university campuses that we visited on those first trips to America. At times, we seemed to only encounter hedonism or braying superficiality. Uh, best line. Well, that hasn't changed. No, it hasn't changed at all. The best line in this uh, is where he says, taking orders from the kingpin. Uh, what a funny way to talk about your dick. Uh, <laughs> He mentions the final solution, right. which is really funny because uh, I don't know if you know this, but you probably do, that this uh, the album was supposed to be called Emotional Fascism. Yes, I did, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's just, he loves, he loves the World War II. Oh, I mean, yeah, this guy. It's a lot of it. A lot of Nazis well, if you, in this. if you're raised in England, it's a bigger thing. You know? No, completely. And especially the, you know, to, I imagine to have survived... World War II in England. You know, to, oh, I uh, couldn't. They yeah. were literally bombing England every night. I remember I went to, we were in London, you go to that Museum of War or yeah. Museum of whatever, and you get into that bunker and it, and it just reenacts yeah. what it was like when the shells were coming yeah. in. I mean, it's it's incredible. But I, I, I think and that... And then to see fashion, and then to see Nazism rise in your own country. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I, I just, I can't understand how, like, I can understand where you could just be like, all right, well, I'm white and I'm proud to be white. But to 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 want to, like... Like Hitler, he was so anti-American yeah. that it's like, no, that's the most un-American thing right. to right. be a Nazi supporter. Yeah. Uh, but I love that he. I have to say, I you know, love. Also, and why does the you know you 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 can't be proud that you're white? It's not an accomplishment. It's just how you were born. Be proud that you got a hundred on your math test. Yeah. Be proud that you've raised a good family. You know, people don't take something that you had nothing to do with that required no effort on your part and use it as a badge of honor. Yeah. But I'm glad that he put the final solution into this album. How do you do it? And then after he goes, final solution. (laughs) Oh, Uh, Two Little Hitlers. Yeah. Uh, this song is how the UK release of Armed Forces ends. It's got a reggae feel to it. Peter, play minute f- one, second, 15 through the chorus.
you you just have to love that with an album that was called Emotional Fascism, at one point he was going to drop the big H. And yeah. and I love that. It was so funny because I never looked at the title of the song while I was listening to it, and I was like, holy shit. I was like, is he singing about Hitler? And then when I finally looked at the title of it, I, I just thought... It, he says one of my great, my favorite lines in the album. What is it? Is, uh, you call selective dating for some effective mating. Yes, I had that written you down, too. You thought I'd let you down, dear, but you were just deflating. These are such nice descriptions of sundry component attitudes that go into a certain kind of relationship mentality. The jealousy, the one-upmanship, the shallow linking of emotional connection with pop culture. He says it with pictures of the merchandise. I love... I also like, what is it? She's got a calculator. What is the line? It's also calculated. She's got a calculator. She's my soft typewriter, and I'm the great dictator. It's amazing. It's incredible. And as Elvis said, uh, he used the same language uh, to speak about global and personal problems. And by many accounts, this is just about the disintegration of his relationship to his first wife, Mary. Right. And in case the about re- whom the song Allison was written. Really? Mm-hmm. And in case you didn't catch it, there was, of course, he gave the shout out to Charlie Chaplin's anti-fascist film of the 1940s, The Great uh, Dictator. The Great Dictator. Uh, have you ever been or been in a relationship with an emotional fascist? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been in I was in a relationship with somebody that was very emotionally abusive and I didn't realize it until I got out of it. Uh, there's a very short amount of time I was in this relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I also will say that uh, I was in a very long relationship early and uh, in my, you know, in my mid twenties when I, when I lived in LA and I was, uh, my girlfriend and I lived together and uh, I, 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 I see myself at the time like I was so horribly self-centered uh, uh, that uh, like I like I I look back on my own behavior and I'm just like ugh yeah you just want to crawl into a hole yeah yeah um and then the final one on the American release the one that I knew right. Written what's, by, not written by Elvis Costello. Not written by them. Written what's for the title is "What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding." It was written by the producer Nick Lowe and originally recorded by his band Brinsley Schwartz. Schwartz. Uh, Nick Lowe was married to Johnny Cash's daughter. Funny thing about this song, uh, it was on the Bodyguard soundtrack, and Brinsley Schwartz uh, and uh, the writer Nick Lowe made more money off of it being on that. Than anything, he said he made a small fortune. So thank you, really? Kevin Costner. Really? Yes, dude. Uh, but also, that's amazing. Isn't that I great? Love that stuff. Isn't it great? So, but also, this this is a great song. You know, this is this is play Peter Pate two minute two twenty five seconds in because this is so powerful.
I love everything yes. about this song. Where, where, so where are the strong? Who are the trusted? Where is the harmony? Sweet yeah, harmony. Yeah, this, this is one of those songs like, you know, Ima- you know, Imagine or something like that, where it's just like, it, it lays it out so simply. Yes. The lyrics are so beautiful and direct. Uh, and it's what Elvis ends... He's, Elvis still ends every concert. Right? Oh, you have to end with yeah. this. This is this yeah. is the big sing along. This, this is, is for your, you, you've yeah. just seen an incredible show. You put your arm around your friend yeah. who's who's and obsessed a, with and him. It's a beautiful and it's, it's a, a spiritual. It's, it's, it's a, a spiritual. Yeah, it's a beautiful sentiment, and uh, it's a great song. Well, what's great about this is that Brinsley Schwartz, who a lot of us don't know, was a serious influence to artists such as Elvis Costello and The Clash. Yes, who has influenced you? As a as a comedian, however, sure. um, what are your bigger influences? Well, my in, biggest throughout- in, my biggest influence as a comedian in terms of how I approach stand up was was George Carlin. Uh, he was really, uh, you know, when I saw George Carlin, I was like, I I want to do that. Like I love Steve Martin. I was like, I love that. I can't do that. You know, I love Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, I can't, can't do, that. do that. That's tough. Yeah, George Carlin. Like, I can do my version of that. Yeah. And then um, there was a really brilliant writer named uh, and comedian from Boston named Kenny Rogerson, who was really dark, but impish in the way he delivered comedy. Like he was kind of funny, but it was like this album. He would deliver these really dark jokes, uh, but in a way that was kind of like impish and funny. One of his jokes that I always loved was, uh, I like to go to those laundromats with the big glass doors and just throw in like a doll's head, couple arms, and just walk around going, <laughs> anybody seen Susie? <laughs> uh, you know, and it was just like, but he's so funny when you do it. You laugh at this really dark thing. And, yeah. and I thought like, yeah, I, I, I stole that from Kenny Rogerson. And then there was a guy in San Francisco that, I, that lived there when I was there named John Ross, who had a really... He was very energetic and had a lot of energy, but he was also very contained. Like he wasn't just unleashed and wild. He dressed really nice and he was just like exuberant, but contained. And, yeah. I, and I like stole, I like put Kenny Rogerson and John Ross together and aimed it at George Carlin. And that's the algorithm of what I do on stage. That's incredible. But what I love probably the most about this is like we were talking about, it's it's just a simple message of unity and love in a troubled world. Mm-hmm. The song became an anthem around the world for peace and tolerance, and it's been copied, uh, not copied, covered by, I mean, so many artists. A Perfect Circle, Lucy Kaplansky, The Flaming Lips, and The Wallflowers, but it's like about resolving conflicts. Yeah. How do you resolve your conflicts? Well, one thing that I do, and I get in a lot of conflicts. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm a parent. I have three kids. I was, went through a divorce. I ran a TV show for three years. You know, it's yeah. like I've, I've been in a lot of situations with a lot of conflict. And uh, I'm, I'm very cautious to, 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 you don't escalate. You know, I never, uh, always de-escalate, never escalate, never, uh, and always um, play chess, don't play checkers. Yeah. When you say something, before you say it, imagine what the person's response is going to be. Because there's only one response to fuck you, and that's fuck you too. There's no, there's no, it's like, fuck you. Well, you're right. No one ever says, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that, no one says that. So, 
that's the uh, you know you have to empathize with the person that you're dealing with look at where they're coming from and I and I really try to I have the theory the the way to put out a fire is to deprive it of oxygen yeah don't don't feed the don't, don't feed, feed the, feed fuel. the yeah don't yeah. just drop the or like feeding a lion drop the food walk away that's great. No, don't. Uh, yeah, don't make a big deal. Out of That's it. great, uh, Dana. This was fantastic. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Wait, wait you're yeah, having me. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. <laughs> thank you so much. Now get out. Dana Gould, ladies and gentlemen. For all things Dana, go to his website, danagould.com. Dana Gould on all social media. And listen to his podcast, the Dana Gould Hour Podcast. Get his new album, Mr. Funny Man, available on Kill Rock Stars. And check out Stan Against Evil, now on Hulu. You can also see him this Thursday through Saturday with me, not like 100% with me, but we're both going to be at the Moon Tower Comedy Fest in Austin, Texas. And you can go to his website to find out his dates with Bobcat Goldthwait in May, where they're going to be touring all over the country. I'm also going to be posting his mixtape track listing link, so you can find all of that and everything 500 at our website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast with your pros and cons and your and your schlons to 500 podcast at gmail.com. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And you got a few dates coming up. Like I said, I'm going to be at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival this Wednesday tonight through Saturday. And on Thursday, guys, we're doing a live 500 taping. Get to Austin. And if you can't make it there, May 13th, the goddamn comedy jam at the Roxy with Bill Burr, Jackie Tone, and Joe Sib. And all tickets are on my website at joshadammyers.com. Please subscribe on your favorite platform and rate and review. Give me a review, guys. Also, we got the 500 Club, guys. Get the podcast a day early on Record Store Tuesday. Free merch. And for the members only, we give them a separate podcast. Join the movement. The 500 Club is the shit. You can find this at the500podcast.com backslash club for all details on our Patreon membership options to support the 500. Follow my writer, Morty, at DJ Morty Coyle on all social media and check out his Instagram page where him and his daughter sing many, many songs at B and Daddy Cartoons. Now, we just listened to Elvis Costello from 1979. Now, here is an artist that is directly influenced by this album. From Hollywood, California, we have All Day Sucker with their song Quality Problems off their third album, Denim Days. You can find them at alldaysucker.net. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured at the end of the 500, send us your song to 500 podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Manu Chow Week with his 2001 album. I'm going to butcher this. Proxima Estacion. 
Esperanza. It's fucking good. So y'all got some homework to do. At ease, soldiers. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. 
Krista Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Next Chapter Podcasts.